for those who are new, we've been going through the book of Titus, the letter of Titus, the postcard of Titus. It's very small. It's three chapters. We've been working our way through it. But if you'll remember week one, and if you weren't here, that's okay. You can read it also. It says, Titus, do these things, teach these things, so that capital T truth will lead to godliness. Okay? There's a truth. I know the world's like, oh, what's truth? Like, well, that has been asked since the beginning of the fall. What is truth? Well, there is a truth, and you need to know truth. Humans need truth to live. Well, there's a capital T truth, which we're going to get into today, that that you can anchor your life to. You can anchor your soul to. And, And really... Paul's been, been really, he's not been explicit with what that truth is up until this point. He's addressed it. Now, he knows Titus understands it. This letter is for him. But today, he's, he's not going to assume that Titus knows it. He's going, to, he's going to remind him of that truth. So we're already towards the end of chapter 2. But there's no chapter in this postcard or letter at that time. But what he's going to do is he's going to anchor everything that has been said up until this point to this gospel message. He's going to anchor everything that he's going to say in in what remains to this central piece. And it is central to this postcard. It's central to this letter. And I want you to know it's central to this church. It's central to your life. And if it's not, man, I hope that changes today. That today that the gospel message would be central to everything you do. So let's work, right? Um, before we do, I'm going to make you work a little bit. Now, you don't have to shout out an answer, but if you want to, you could. It might be fun, but then you might be wrong, and then you'll feel embarrassed, and I don't want that. I really don't. But if you were to give one word that summed up the Christian religion or the Christian faith, what word would that be? Now, you can think about that. You're going to get an answer, and you might disagree with that answer, and that would make for a good conversation afterwards, and we could talk about it at lunch. But I'm, I'm convinced of it, and uh, I have good company. You might have heard of C.S. Lewis, right? The, the man who wrote many books, but he's a brilliant mind. Well, there was a conference once, and I'm just going to read it. It's a quote. It said, during a British conference on comparative religions, right? So they're talking about all the different world religions. Experts from around the world debated What, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith? They began eliminating possibilities. For instance, incarnation, meaning a God comes to earth. Other religions had different versions of gods appearing in human form. Resurrection. Again, other religions had accounts of return from death. The the debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. He said this, he says, what's the rumpus about? By the way, I love that word. (laughs) We don't say that anymore. Russ, did you ever say what's the rumpus about? No, okay. (laughs) I didn't know how far back this went, you know. I'm just guessing you might be the oldest gentleman in the room. What's the rumpus about, he asked. And, and heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. Lewis responded, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. I love the answer. I love that he says, oh, it's easy, right? You're like, that's not the word I had, and I didn't think it was easy. I had all these other words. Well, they were thinking about it, right, for some time. But he said, it's easy. It's grace. What what you've got to know is all the world religions, every one of them are based on some kind of works religion, right? You must do these things. You must not do these things in order to at one day, hopefully be good enough to be accepted, to be received into the presence of whatever God you say you worship. The the Christian faith says you you can't be good enough. You, you, You don't measure up. You, you're, you're not good enough even on your best day. Christ is perfect. Christ is enough. Christ has done it all. And he offers himself to you in grace. Trust him. Right? So, so this is, and Kevin, I love how you opened it up. I love how you began to engage our hearts and our minds in the word with a, a thought of grace. Right? Because all of the Christian faith is grace. You know, fewer words are more precious in the Christian vocabulary than the word grace. 
I mean, seriously, if you were to look up all the occurrences all throughout the Bible, you would find that grace, the word grace, and there's some variations, but within the ESV is used 131 times, right? Some give more, some give less, but that's probably a a, a good amount to say because I think it's conservative. And 86 of them are used by the Apostle Paul. And this is why, no wonder he's been called the Apostle of Grace, yeah, can I just tell you, fewer words are misunderstood in, in the Christian faith than the word grace. Fewer, fewer words are, I mean, m- misunderstood, misapplied, even by those who sing it, who preach it, who, who might, heck, they might even have the word grace in their, the title or the name of their church and not actually understand it. And I want you to know this, because the gospel of grace, the, the word grace, the, the word gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is always under attack. It's, it's, it's always under attack. And, and this is not new. All throughout the New Testament and even within the letter of Titus, you can see that there's really two major enemies that, that seek to distort the word grace. Not just the word grace, but what grace is, right? Um, the ancient church father, Tertullian, he once said this. Listen, listen to these words. He says, just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, so the gospel is ever crucified between two heirs. That'll preach. I love how these guys just wordsmith things. They say something in a sentence that, that goes throughout decades, right? Because you, you can see it. Well, what are those errors? What are those distortions, right? Well, one of them's religion, right? One of them is religion, or, or you might hear it uh, referred to as legalism, right? Doing certain things in order for God to say, yes, you are worthy, right? Or, or irreligion, or what's also known as antinomianism, which just means no law, right? And, and I want you to know that those two errors seek to distort, disrupt, and steal away the transforming power of the gospel of grace. They do. They're both very man-centered, by the way, just in other ends, right? If you think about the prodigal son and the older brother, you'll get a good picture of it. The prodigal son was lost in irreligion. He didn't want anything to do with that. He ran away, and he just squandered everything away. I don't want you. I don't want your rules. Everybody thinks, well, the older brother, but he stayed. He did all the work, but he was trying to earn a love he had already had. And they were both lost, and they both needed the heart of the Father. They both needed grace. Religion, or legalism, says this, that you have to live a godly life in order to be saved, right? You have to. You have to do these things. They believe what you do leads to who you are, right? I do this, therefore I am. That's not grace. That's not gospel. Irreligion or antinomianism says that this, because we're saved, we don't have to live a godly life. We can do whatever we want. We can actually enjoy the quote-unquote good life, which they believe is basically against God. They believe that what we do does not matter. Both of them are wrong. Both legalists, those who ignore grace. Legalists ignore grace. They don't think they need it. Sometimes, maybe like a little boost, right? Yeah, because I didn't live up to it this week. Give me a little grace, Lord. Or antinomians, those who abuse grace are both at opposite ends of the spectrum, but they're both in error because both of them think they don't need God. They both think they've arrived. They may sing it. They may pray it. They may preach it. But, but they don't ever embrace him. Not truly, They don't treasure him. They don't follow him. They don't extend him to others. And and now notice something. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. We're talking about grace here. I didn't say they don't embrace it. I didn't say they, they don't treasure it. Why? It's not by accident that I said those words that specific. I really believe that at the heart of why people don't understand grace is because they misunderstand, misuse all of these things because they wrongly believe that grace is an abstract thing. Not, not God himself. Not Christ who is grace incarnate. Right? They, they wrongly believe that, that grace is somehow separate from God. But, but it's not. Grace is personal. Grace, grace is much more 
it's, it's God's gift to the world. And who does God give but himself? He gives himself to sinners who desperately need him. Grace is a person. Jesus Christ is grace personified. He put on flesh. He, grace has fingerprints. you, you got to know this because otherwise you'll always discard it as something that can just be, you know, I can use it when I need it. I can forget it when I don't. But, but if you'll see grace as the person and work of Christ, you will never do that because what you'll see is the cost that it, that it was to give such grace to sinners who do not deserve any grace. You've got to understand what we deserve is the wrath of God because of our sin. See, grace is a gift, and the greatest gift ever given to humanity is Jesus Christ. That's grace. There's never a day where we don't need grace. Whether you're saved or whether you're not, you're in a constant state of need. We need Jesus. We need grace. We need it every day, even on your best day. That's what Paul says to Titus here, and I want you to see it. So now we're going to look at the text we'll be working through this morning. And it's found in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. you got to know something. 11 through 14 is one sentence in the, the Greek language. you got to know this. It's so packed full of truth that literally that could be a sermon series. But, but look at it with me. The word for by the way, connects us to what was just said. Don't forget what was just said, because last week was a lot of do's, right? So if you're the, if you're the type of person that wants to hear a sermon on, I got to do these things, or I must not do these things, last week was for you. It really was for you. And, and I remember Kevin specifically making sure that we don't detach that from the gospel of grace, because you might start thinking, okay, I'm saved now. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. I got to do these things. But that's not at all how the gospel is portrayed throughout the Bible. We believe, therefore we are, therefore we do. Right? We don't do to, in order to be something. We are God's children, therefore we gladly obey and follow. Why? Because that's what his children do. Right? So, so don't miss this. So he says, for so he's talking about older men, older women, younger men, younger women. He's talking about bond servants or slaves. This is how you're to live. But you're to live this way in light of about what I'm about to say. It's a response to the gospel. Okay? So he says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Here it means all kinds of people. Old women, young, young women, old men, right? He's saying all of humanity, not just Jewish people. He's saying all of humanity, salvation, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. That's our text. Now let's look at it. We live between two appearings. You can see it right there in the text. It's very plain, plain to see, right? The, the first coming of Jesus Christ, he appeared, right? Salvation appeared in verse 11. Then the second coming, we're waiting for this blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see that in verse 13. So right now, in this moment, we live between grace appearing and glory appearing. That's where you live. How do you live in that moment, right? That's, that's what's being asked. That's what's essentially being answered in the book of Titus. See, much confusion within the Christian faith and religion is that people can articulate what they've been saved from. I hear it all the time. I've been saved from Satan, sin, and death, and that's good. You, you need to be able to articulate that. But you know where most people get tripped up is they don't know what they've been saved for. They don't know who they've been saved for, and they don't know what to do between being saved and Jesus returning or me taking a dirt nap and going to see him. They just don't know. And so they just kind of wait around, right? So I get my mansion in the sky. 
It's going to be awesome, right? That's what they wait for. And, and I got to tell you, if that's where you're at, you're missing it. You're not understanding at all what the Bible, and specifically the New Testament, talks mostly about. Because it's mostly talking about what Christ has done and what you do as we wait for this blessed hope to appear, for Christ to return, right? And so, what have you been, what have you been saved for? You've been saved for God. You've been saved for mission. You've been saved for worship. You've been saved for witness. You've been saved for the great commission. You've been saved for the great commandment. You've been saved essentially for God, right? You're saved to this great God, right? He brings you into him, his family. And it's even better to say into himself. And he brings himself into you. How does this happen? By faith. By trusting in what Jesus has done in your place. By trusting that his life really is perfect. That his life, it was the life that was lived that you and I could never live. That he was born without sin. You and I were born into sin. He never knew sin. He perfectly obeyed the Father. He perfectly submitted to the will of the Father. He said, whatever it takes, Lord. His purpose in coming was to make a way for sinners like you and I to enjoy life with God. Well, that, that just doesn't happen automatically. Something must be done, which is the first point. Let's look. First point is grace pardons. Grace pardons, right? You're going to see in this text, by the way, if you, if you look, if you see that all of salvation is laid out in, in tenses, meaning past, present, future, right? That we have been saved. Those who are trusting in Christ this morning, you are saved. You have been saved. It's done. I'm going to get into that in a minute. But you're also, you're being saved. You're being sanctified. We'll get into that in a minute, Right? But there's going to come a day where you will be finally and fully saved once and for all. And God is doing all of that work in and through you for his great glory. So let's take the first one, grace pardons, which means past. We're, we're delivered from sin's penalty. We're justified. That's a, that's a very fancy word for explaining that you are innocent, okay? You have been saved. There's more to it. We'll get to that in a minute. Look at this again. He says, for the grace of God has appeared. It's talking about Christmas here, right? Or what we call Christmas. This is the incarnation. Grace has appeared. It's appeared through the man and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Doing what? Bringing salvation for all people. How? Notice, through our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, underline this. Notice this. Who gave himself for us to redeem us. You, you got to get this. We all need salvation. We all need redemption. We all need forgiveness. You and I need a Savior. Because as we know, Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're like, well, I'm not that bad. God is infinitely perfect. You are not. Therefore, you fall short of that. You don't measure up. Not even on your best day. To sin, by the way, we always think of these like horrific things. Well, Putin, he's a sinner. He is a sinner. So are you. So am I. So is the, everyone walking the face of this earth currently right now is a sinner. Because to sin, in essence, is to prefer anything above God. Man, that second song we were singing, I think it was the second song, I was... It's talking about treasuring. He's the wellspring of my life. I'm praying that, believing that by faith, but that is not my ultimate reality every day of my life. You don't love Jesus 100% all the time. I don't care how awesome you are. I'm God, make it so that what I do believe, but help my unbelief, because in actual reality, there's days where I don't prefer you. Help me. That's sin. That's sin. You're not doing anything horrible. No, that's horrible. It's horrible to look at an infinite God and all that He is and how He has revealed Himself through the person and work of Christ and to say, I just want a new car. It's sin. I, I just, man, I just, I just want a wife. I just want a different wife. 
You can reverse that if you're a lady. I'm for real. This, this meets you right where you're at. And if you don't see that, you won't. You are the person that I'm saying. I am the person you need to see. You need grace here. Ah, oh, but I'm saved. Oh, you are, but you are living a miserable life because that war that happens within the heart seeks to steal joy from you. Seeks to steal glory from God. And you better go to war because if not, you're just going to get beat on all day long. Sin is, is preferring anything or anyone above God. Ever since the thud in the garden, by the way, the world's been filled with suffering, disease, poverty, racism, natural disasters, war, aging, death, and it all stems from the curse of God on the world. Uh, just today, I'm, I'm walking here, and it's a beautiful morning, it's warm, a little bit of rain, it's, it's, it's Levi's favorite kind of weather, found that out this morning, I like it too, but it's good napping weather, watch a movie, eat something warm, but on the way I saw two heroin needles. Unless we just got diabetics hanging out in the corners. Yeah, I know. I was kidding, hon. She's like, no, we don't, because she is diabetic. And she's like, I don't throw my needles anywhere. I know. It's, it's broken. It, it's not, it's not going to get better until the Lord returns. Because the more suffering comes, the less hope that has like, eroded within the world. Because everywhere they look, they're finding no place that's safe. The more you're going to see heroin go up. Because they're going to try to escape the pain. You, you just got to know this. All human problems are ultimately symptoms. Get this. You, you need to hear this. They're symptoms. And, and, and the root is our separation from God. That, that is the ultimate root. We need redemption. We need salvation. We need to be born again. Question. Rescued from who or what? That is, it's, it's, it's a good question to ask, right? You might say, well, Satan, yeah, okay, that's true. Sin, that's true. Death, that's true. Ultimately, ultimately, though, it's the wrath of God. You and I need rescued, rescued from God. If you're, if you're not in Christ, if you're not currently trusting and believing in Him, if you're not a redeemed man, woman, or child, you are under the wrath of God. God's wrath is the greatest problem for all of humanity. Because Romans 6.23 says this, the wages of sin is death. By the way, death here, death is much more than taking a dirt nap. You, we, we all die physically. But what this is talking about is an eternal death. Death here is eternal separation forever from relationship with God who created you in His image to love, to lavish love and grace upon you. You can't understand it. I can't understand it. Not really. There's never been a day. You know, I've had people say, this is like hell. It's nothing like hell. Even if you're not trusting in Jesus, you, you've probably enjoyed the smile of someone. You've enjoyed food. You've enjoyed water when you were really thirsty. All those things are grace. You've enjoyed sunshine. You've enjoyed from the hand of God in hell. That is gone. And all that is left is present wrath. Constant. For all of eternity. Thankfully, God has always had a plan. He's always had a plan to give us something different than what we deserve. Or someone. He's always had this plan. Namely, Himself. This is why I'm saying, you've got to stop thinking about grace as abstract. And you need to think about grace as the person and work of Jesus Christ. He gives Himself. Right? Notice, gave himself for us. Do you see that in the text? This, this is not just some word phrase. What he's, that is substitutionary atonement. What you deserve, Jesus received. What you could never pay for, Jesus paid. What you needed to receive, which was forgiveness and righteousness, you could never earn. Jesus earned it in your place. He substituted himself for you. This is the heart of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake, for the great love that God has for those who have rebelled against Him, for our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin. 
He never sinned. He said, I will take upon the sin of the world. Give it to me. I receive it. He knew no sin. But notice why did he do that? Comma, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. See, we need forgiveness, yes, but we also need righteousness. We need perfection. Jesus is our perfection. The moment that we trust and believe in Jesus Christ, what we have is all our sin, all our sin, past, present, future sins is paid for. It is done because in that moment, you have been executed with Christ. The old you is dead. You're buried. Now that you're trusting in Jesus Christ, he is resurrected from the grave and you have resurrected with him in a sense to new life. So what you have now is perfect standing before God in the courtroom of heaven, which means there is no more wrath for you. If you're in Christ, you're perfectly and fully forgiven the moment you believe. You have the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ right now as you sit here still waiting and longing for the perfection that is to be, which we're going to get to, but you, you have to get this. If you don't get this, you're always going to try to earn a love you have. You've been justified, the Bible says. You are perfectly right right now if you're trusting in Christ. Fully forgiven, perfect, fully loved, and there's no admixture of wrath and love. It's, it's unhindered love. He loves you. Right now, you're like, well, you don't know what I did this week. I don't. He does. He loves you. He's not looking at your life. Your life is hidden with Christ. You're in Him. He's in you. He delights in His Son, and His Son dwells in all who believe. Right now, you're as holy as Jesus Christ in the courtroom of heaven. Do you believe that? Someone might be thinking, I don't think that's true. Oh, it's true. Let's, let's talk afterwards. I had someone say, that's not true. You don't understand the gospel if you don't understand that. And that's okay if that's where you're at. But oh, I want you to understand the good news of Jesus Christ. And to understand the good news of Jesus Christ is that His perfect life is now yours. It's yours. Your old wretched life is dead. You're in Christ. You are justified. You are a child of God. You have been adopted. You have been cleansed. You're perfect. You're pure. You're spotless. You're like, but that's not my life. I know. It's not mine either. But we're going to get to that. But you've got to understand this right now. Do you believe that? That's my question for you. Have you trusted in Christ for your salvation? If not, you're under wrath. Let me be very clear. But if you have, you're perfectly under grace. Perfectly under grace. Right now. When we believe in Jesus, we don't just get enough grace in order to get through the door and then we need a bunch of our own effort to make it to the end. It's not what we get. What we get is we get God himself giving us everything we need to believe, to behave, and to get to the end. He gives us everything. Being a Christian is ultimately about a change in relationship. I go from being an enemy of God, rebelling against Him, sinning against Him, constantly waving my fist at Him in order to, then in a moment, to, to just believe and to trust. I deserve wrath. Christ has received it in my place. I trust and believe in Him. And now I'm adopted into His family. And He pours out grace upon grace for His children. And He gives you everything you need in that moment to get to the end. Don't believe me? I want you to see it in the text. But I need you to settle in your heart right now. that You're either in Christ, which means under grace, or you're in Adam, which means under wrath. But if you're in Christ, then you've got to believe that Jesus is sufficient. He's enough. Now I've got to do some more things. He's enough. Draw a hard line between justification and what we're about to talk about, which is sanctification and how we live in light of that truth. Okay? 
So, by the way, I, I want to speak to a couple of friends here. Um, I don't know if you're here, but generally you are. The religious say, don't say that. By the way, I call you my friends. <laughs> you just need to know you're not my enemy. I have no human enemies. None. But the religious say, oh, don't say that, Pastor. People will just live however they want. Right? You might have even thought it while I was saying that. If that's you, correct your thinking. The irreligious say, awesome, so I can just live however I want. Both are in error. Both misunderstand grace. Both of them. Simply put, true and genuine faith in Jesus will always lead to good works. But salvation in no way comes through or because of good works. You've got to get this. Oh, this is where so many people get screwed up. Martin Luther once said that we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. If you're born again, you will. You labor. Why? So that you're saved? No, because you are. Now, you need to know this. That might look horribly sloppy for a long time. Or it might happen instantly. I've seen both, by the way. I've seen people just come to faith in Jesus Christ right now. Boom. They are, by the way, anytime someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, you are transformed in that moment. You are a new creation. But the, the, the fruit of that doesn't always happen right away. So I've seen people come to faith, and right away, they just, they're running. They're all, you're like, how long have you been walking with Jesus? Like, four minutes, let's go, right? And, and like, I've seen people who come to faith truly, genuinely come to faith for years, don't really understand what Christ has done for them, and they just stumble and fall and skin their knees, and they just bleed all over themselves and everyone else and make a mess of their lives, and both of them are saved. But I want you to know this, if you live long enough, the fruit of salvation will happen in your life. If it doesn't, you need to take some time and do an evaluation. You probably need a friend to do that with. You need to sit down and say, am I a Christian? That's not a bad question to ask. It'd be much worse to say, nope, I said the prayer when I was 12 and I got baptized, therefore I am. That would be much worse. It'd be much better just to say, I don't know. I don't know. I want you to be assured. I want you to know. I want you to know, which is the second point. Grace empowers, right? We, this is your present, so we're present tense now. We are delivered from sin's power, power, right? Which is sanctification. We are being saved. You're like, oh, I'm already saved. You are already saved, but you're being saved, right? Look at, look at this text again. For the grace of God has appeared. Notice the words training us. Training us to do what? To renounce or to reject ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now that we've been justified by grace through faith, we are being taught, trained, transformed, by, listen, that same grace. That same grace. God did not just save you and then, you know, forgive you in order to forget you. Well, just wait till you die, right? That's, that's not at all the Christian life. He comes into our lives by His Spirit and He brings about the reality of what already is in the courtroom of heaven. He brings about the righteousness that is. He brings about transformation. You've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's a thing that has happened. But you don't know how to behave in the kingdom. You don't know how to behave under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he gives himself to you. He gives his spirit to you. He gives you new desires. Why? Because he's actually taken out your old stony heart that wants nothing to do with God. And he gives you one of flesh. One that is tender. One that longs to be like him. Even though you fail. You fail, but he does that. Why? Because he's for his glory, but he's for you. And he desires that his children would show his grace to the onlooking world so that they might see, I need him. I've never met people like you. You will know my disciples by how they love one another. You and I don't naturally love anyone except for ourselves. You must be trained to love. Listening to NF this morning. Well, I'm drinking coffee, and he has a song. I forget the exact title, but it's talking about being trained to love. He's like, I never knew how to love. God trained me to love. 
I'm like, that'll preach. That's what I'm talking about today. Thanks, NF. <laughs> Listen to Ezekiel 36, 25 through 28. This has always been God's plan. He's got to see it. The New Testament is like, hey, I'm going to cook up something new because I blew it in the Old Testament. It's always been his plan. Listen to what he says. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Essentially, that's justification, right? And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Listen, and I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And to be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. And you shall be my people. And I will be your God. Do you see it right in the text that we're working from today? In Titus? He says, listen. God has always had a plan. A people for himself. A people that would magnify his grace to the onlooking world. We do this. In verse 12 it says. By pursuing godliness. But we all, and by enthusiastically pursuing good works, a people that are zealous for good works, that we also do this by saying no, right, to ungodliness. We say no to sin. We say yes to God. We do that because God gives us that desire by giving us Himself. We're enabled and empowered to say no to sin and yes to God. God's people love what God loves. God's people hate what God hates. If that is not your reality, something's wrong. You just need to know that. You just need to know that. There's something wrong. Why? Why? Don't forget all the things that he has said throughout the letter so far. Verse 5 of chapter 2, so that no one will defile or criticize the word of God. Verse 8, so that no opponent... that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Verse 10, so that in everything they may adorn, they may love the truth of the gospel and our God and great Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to put his grace on display. And if, if it looks like nothing has changed in your life from, let's say, Monday, let's say Sunday afternoon at 12.01-ish till Sunday when we do this thing again. What is the world going to say? I already know. I was talking to a friend, Dustin, and he said, man, like, we just knew, like, like, my dad never wanted to go to church because all that church ever did was say they did one thing and do the opposite. And, and that was a hindrance for my friend in his walk with God. He's here now and he's saying, you all seem a little different. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I'm not talking perfection, by the way. I'm not talking perfection. Heck, that's not at all the Christian faith either. When we blow it, though, what we do is we, we confess. And we come under that fountain of grace. And we receive the forgiveness that's already ours. And we ask him to change our desires. That, that will ultimately lead to a change of behavior. We say, Lord, help me. That's all you can get out. Just help me. Help me to love you more. Help me to follow you. Help me to want to follow you. Give me more of yourself. Lord, may I decrease. May you increase. This is what it looks like to fight the good fight of faith. We're to live in such a way that's appropriate to the truth of the gospel of grace. Right? So that no one would bring shame on the gospel message. Right? So, so that the gospel would be attractive to people. So that they might see. I mean, there's hope. There's hope. These people have the same crappy circumstances, but they seem to have a pep in their step. They seem to love. They seem to not despair. And when they despair, people come around them and just say, look, look upon Christ. They wipe each other's tears off their eyes, off their cheeks, and they say, look, hang in there. Don't quit. Your God's for you. He's not abandoned you. Look. And God continues to pour out himself. This is what it means to stumble through life in a constant state of grace. However, there's many people who say they love Jesus and live day-to-day life with little to no power. Little to no power. And when I say power, I actually mean real authentic joy in Christ. Because that is power. 
get this, the more our love for Christ increases, the more the things of this world decrease. They just do. You, you worship your way through seasons of pain and suffering. Even while you're suffering, right? That's how the Lord grows you. He gives of himself, right? I thirst for you, Lord. And the more you suffer many times, the more you long for him. Can I just tell you that most of your suffering, it, but all of your sufferings never just like, I didn't know that was happening. He's always purposeful in it. What, the, what someone might mean evil against you, God means for good, and that good is that you might be conformed into the image of Christ. He constantly is working for you and in you to make you more like him. There are times my hands have gripped the things of this world and I knew they should not and suffering comes and he slowly pries my hands open to receive him because he's enough. This is sanctification. What's our part in that? Do we have a part in that? You absolutely have a part in that. Sanctification is 100% all of grace. It's all of God and it's 100% all of you. You don't kind of just give yourself to the Lord. You, you pursue him with all that you are. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says this. If then you have been raised with Christ. He's talking about those who are in Christ. Seek. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things of the earth. Pursue him. Treasure him. Be in the word. Sing. Pray. Gather around those who love him. And not just on Sunday morning. Not just on Sunday morning. Right? If that's where you're at, Sunday morning's fine. But you cannot stay there. You must pursue Him with all that you are. Grow in your knowledge of Christ in the gospel because essentially you will become what you adore. You will become what you worship. Pursue joy in Christ. God will, listen, God will give us real, present grace so that by faith we can lift our eyes from our present sufferings to our eternal great God and Savior Jesus Christ who is our glorious future but you have him now you have him now you have eternal life now do you believe that if you do I want you to know he will continue to give himself to you and if you don't I want you to know he will continue to give himself to you. You may be in a season of suffering. I just want to talk quickly upon that, and we're going to land this plane on time today. It will be a miracle. <laughs> Hebrews 4. I'm talking to my, my friends who are suffering, and I know there, many, there are many here right now. And if you're in a season of, hey, everything's yippy-skippy, awesome. Seriously, enjoy it. But for my friends who are suffering, and even those who are not, the word of God is always timely. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this. When I say suffering, you might be suffering with a, a sin that just keeps a hold of you. You just feel like I can't be free of it. I want you to know you are free of it. You can be free of it. You no longer have to sin. You've you got to believe that or you'll never put sin to death in your life. You're not a victim of sin. You might be a lover of it, or you might actually hate it and just it clings so closely. And, and, and what do I mean by that? It could be self-pity. It could be all sorts of things. It's not always these. It could be control. It could be anger. It could be unforgiveness. It could be all sorts of things. I think, once again, we always think these extreme behaviors, but it's not. It's always something that starts with an internal uh, attitude, heart condition that manifests itself in the way that you live. But it always starts that way. But I want you to know you have a great high priest. Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Therefore, let us hold fast to this confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus Christ, He has been tempted. He has been tried. He is victorious. But He has been really tempted. I think a lot of times people think he doesn't really, he doesn't really know. He doesn't really know because he never sinned, which is another lie that the church tends to believe right now, that if I haven't been in your shoes, I can't relate and minister to you. That's, that's garbage. 
I don't have to have had cancer to bring the word of God into your life and to minister to you. So that you, if you do that, you're putting up walls that does not allow God's people to bring in the healing you so desperately need. Because you think it's a specific person. Well, I'm ministering the word of God. God's ministering by his spirit. He brings in the healing. You've got to believe that. So can someone maybe minister to you in a specific way? Yeah, but Jesus Christ has been there, done that, got the t-shirt. He's the one who does the ministering. And he's a great high priest. He's able to sympathize. He's able to weep with you. He's right there. He's closer to you than your very own skin. You think, I feel so alone. No one sees. No one understands. He sees. He understands. He's with you. He loves you. And listen to what he says. Because that's our great high priest. Because he's able to sympathize in our weakness. He is one in every respect who has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. What's he give? He gives himself. He gives himself. Last point. Within five minutes, we're going to do this. I want you to know grace perseveres. Grace perseveres. I heard someone say it in a funny way. It stuck with me ever since. The snail made it to the ark. Okay, I'm glad you guys, I, I'm glad you got it. I thought that was hilarious. And it, but it, that, that, that picture has forever been, in, it's etched in my mind. To the point that when we would go to Maine, I would find these little snail uh, cartridges, right? They're a little shell, right? And, and I, I had Sarah, I wanted her to make me something where it would sit on this stone. So every time I looked at it, that even though I feel like I'm getting nowhere, I feel like I'm stuck in the mud, I feel like that I'm spinning, that little snail made it to the ark. Therefore, I will too. And it's not because of the snail's ability. It's because God, he got him there. He got him. He might have stuck on the, on the side of that sucker. I don't know. <laughs> Right, But he was there. He made it to the end. Future, right? That's what we're talking about. We, we will be delivered from sin's presence. Finally, fully, and forever. We will be glorified. We will finally be saved. That day's coming. <laughs> Some of you right now say, oh, I hope it, the Lord holds on. Some of you are saying, come now. And we're all within that spectrum somewhere. Notice it says, for the grace of God has appeared in Titus. It says, bringing salvation for all people, waiting for our blessed hope. Blessed here, our happy hope, our certain hope. Blessed, by the way, everybody says that's a religious term. It means happy, happy, our happy hope. No, happy is a worldly word. Happy, blessed, happy hope happy 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 not happy slappy but i want you to know the day that the, that the lord arrives the day that you die will be the happiest day you've ever had in your entire life's existence we wait for that we long for that oh lord jesus come i, I had someone who's really hurting suffering talking this week and 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 the question was asked when when will you be happy and this lady said when I die but I want you to know I said no no God wants you to be happy in him right now I don't feel happy I get it I really <laughs> do I get it but how you get happy in God. How you wait for that blessed hope is to get your eyes off you and on Him, who is the God who is happy to pour Himself out on you. Zephaniah says He will sing over you. Oh, God was happy to save you. Do you, do you even believe that? Yeah, I know God loves people. No, yes, He does. God loves you. Do you, do you even believe that? Or you just clumped in? 
It's clumped in. I want you to know God delighted to save you. God delights to work in you. God delights to bring you to the end so that you can finally have your faith, which you've been just so trusting without seeing, become your absolute reality in an instant and in a moment so that you, all the things that just cling to you, think, I don't know if I can go one more day. He says, I'm enough. And that moment when you see him, you say, oh God, thank you. Thank you. Worthy is the Lamb of God who shed His blood to save a people who wanted nothing to do with Him. He gave Himself for you. And He is so happy to bring you into His eternal pleasure forever. Where He won't care about streets of gold. It's asphalt. whoop de doo Oh, my puppy will be there. You won't care about Fido. You're like, yes, I will. No, you won't. Why? Because the God who made you, the God who loves you, the God who saved you, you will see him face to face. And he will wipe every tear from your eyes. And he will say, well done, good and faithful snail. Or well done, good and faithful squirrel. Actually, he'll say, well, good... Well done, good and faithful servant, my son, my daughter, the one whom I love. I went to the cross to save you. I went to the cross to save this people. Why? Because my father's worthy. Do you believe that? If you do, today is a good day. I'm going to finish with one quote. So to that, until that day, listen, we continue by grace to trust him. He will continue to purify us. He will. He's jealous to do it. He'll continue to rescue us from unbelief. <laughs> so thankful for that. He will continue to intensify our love for him, for one another, and for this city. He'll give us everything we need. He's given us himself. But until that day, we join John Newton in saying this. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hoped to be. But still, I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel of grace. Thank you for giving us Christ. Lord, I ask that you'd give us more of yourself. Pour out more of yourself upon your people. Cause us to, to know and to understand the great depth of your love which you have shown for us in giving Jesus Christ for our salvation. Lord, unite our hearts to you, chain us to you, bind us to you. Never let us wander. When we do, Lord, I pray you'd be quick to bring us back to clean water, to green pastures. Anoint our heads with oil, and may our cup overflow with the happiness of God. Would you do that for your name's sake, for the good of your people, for the joy of your people, and for the good of this city? We ask in Christ's beautiful name. Amen.